بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We continue tonight again with our fiqh salah and last week we completed the chapter of Sujood uh, al-Sahwi. The last few weeks we've been discussing the masail and the issues surrounding the Sujood al-Sahwi, the prostration of forgetfulness. Walhamdulillah. Um, tonight we continue in the same chapter. Well, yes, the same chapter, but we move on to the next part of the chapter, um, which is to do with Sujood of, of Tilawah. Sujood of Tilawa and also Sujood of Shukr, which will come up after that, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. And then we will wrap up this topic, bi'idhnillah, for uh, by tonight. The, the current heading that we are busy with, the chapter that we are busy with is Bab Sujood al-Sahwi wa ghayrihi min Sujood al-Tilawa shukr So we move on to the first hadith, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, which is narrated from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu. قال سجدنا مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في إذا السماء شقت وإقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق رواه مسلم أبو هريرة he narrates and he says that we prostrated we made sujood with Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم in and then he mentions two surahs the first surah he mentions is إذا السماء شقت سورة الانشقاق Right, Suratul in Shikaq, um, and then he says, and in Suratul Alaq, meaning, and in Iqra Bismi Rabbika Ladi Khalaq. This is Suratul Alaq, right? Um, and this hadith is narrated by by Muslim. So, within these surahs, he is saying, we did sujood. Within these surahs, we did sujood. And what's apparent from this narration is that he's referring to the, he's referring to salah, that we prostrated with him within the salah, within the salah. So whilst they were making salah, they did additional sujoods. That's not usually part of the salah. They then, <coughs> they then um, prostrated and did these sujoods. <coughs> and yeah, he's telling us it was with, within which surahs? In the sama'un shaqqat and... Uh, Surah Al-Alaq Wherein Ida Samaun Shaqqat We know these surahs وَإِذَا قُرِئَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْقُرْآنُ لَا يَسْجُدُونَ This is towards the end of the surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says And when the Quran is recited upon them لَا يَسْجُدُونَ They do not prostrate This is referring to who? This is referring to the, to the disbelievers That when they hear the Quran and they, 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 they do not prostrate so we are supposed to be different to them. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ prostrated here. To show that we are not amongst them. To show that we are different to them. They are the kuffar and we are the mu'mineen. So they did not prostrate. The Prophet ﷺ and the sahaba who were with him, they prostrated. Hence it becomes a sunnah for the rest of the ummah to prostrate on these uh, locations as well. So when he recited this ayah, وَإِذَا قُرِئَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْقُرْآنُ لَا يَسْجُدُونَ He goes down into sujood. And in surah Iqra, or surah Al-Alaq, 
Where is the, the prostration? The sujood tilawa is at the end. Where Allah Azza wa Jal says, Kalla la tuti'hu wasjud waqtarib. La tuti'hu wasjud waqtarib. Right? Basically, Allah says, Nay, do not obey them. Rather, wasjud, prostrate, waqtarib. And come closer to your Lord. And draw closeness to your Lord. Right? That's a basic translation of the ayah. We can refer back to our tafsir of the short surahs that we are busy with, alhamdulillah, on Thursday nights. Yeah? Uh, where we did the tafsir of the surah previously. So that is the location of the sajda to tilawa in surah al-aqrat at the end. Kalla la tuti'hu wasjuda wa qtariba. Sujood tilawa is a sunnah mu'akkadah. Sujood of tilawa, the prostration of recitation, is a sunnah mu'akkadah, which is a confirmed sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. And it's befitting for each believer to try and fulfill them, to not overlook them unnecessarily. In fact, there are certain ulama who have said that they are wajib, that they are fard, and that they should never ever be left off. That is another opinion, and we will discuss this issue later on, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. Um, then Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he goes into some other masail, and he says, sujood tilawa has certain rulings attached to it. So he says that a person who, he will make sujood tilawa, even if he's in the salah, right? Even if he's in the salah, sujood tilawa still applies. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he recited in salatul isha, one day in salatul isha, idha sama'un shakkat, and he prostrated in the salah. Right? And therefore, it's upon the ma'moomin, what do they have to do? They have to follow the imam. They have to follow the imam and they have to also prostrate with the imam. Right? They also have to follow him in this and they have to prostrate with the imam. And then he says, he will have to say the takbir. He will have to say the takbir, Allahu Akbar, and go down into sujood. Right? And then say the takbir again when he stands up from the sujood. So for every time he goes down and up, he has to say the, the takbir. Understand? Um, but if it's outside of the salah, if it's outside of the salah, and you are reciting Quran, sujood tilawah still applies. So you are reciting, they say that's Imam Shaqqat, and you, you come to this ayah, now what do we do? Yeah, do we say the do we say Allahu Akbar again and go down and Allahu Akbar to come up and say the taslim? Right? This is the issue that we are discussing right now. Um, what's apparent is that none of this is narrated in the Sunnah. None of this is narrated in the in the Sunnah. What Ibn al-Qayyim says is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would say the sujood when he went, say the takbir when he went down into the sujood, but not when he came up. But not when he um, came up. But what's meant by this is not outside of the salah. What's meant by this is, not what, what he means is that in the salah you have to say the takbir, but outside of the salah you don't have to say the takbir. Okay? Because it's not narrated like this. So Ibn, uh, Ibn Uthaymin says that if the sajda is in the salah, 
you are reciting in the salah and you come across the sajda to tilawa, then you have to say the takbir when you go down and when you come up. And this only makes sense. Right? For each movement, there has to be a, a takbir. Understand? But if it's not within the salah, um, <clears throat> he does not do the takbir if he goes down. He goes down without the takbir. So if you're reciting, you just go down on your, into sujood, and you're in sujood. And you don't have to say Allahu Akbar when you go down, nor would you have to say Allahu Akbar when you, when you come up. So you must prostrate, you just say your, say your, your dhikr. What's the dhikr? So again, those things are not narrated. Those things are not the sunnah. So there is no narration to state that. That there is a specific dhikr to decide when you come across a sajda to tilawa. Sajda to tilawa is what? It's a sajda. You have to make sajda. There is no dhikr to substitute the sajda. So you don't say anything. You don't say anything. Either you do the sajda or you don't do the sajda. So you get to the sajda. Down you go. If you are not, let's say we're out of the salah now, right? If it's in the salah, it's clear. You have to say takbir, right? You have to say Allahu Akbar when you go down, Allahu Akbar when you come back up. And you still say nothing. What do you mean say nothing? You just say Allahu Akbar, you make a sajda and you come up. You make a sajda and you say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. You say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la within the sujood, yes, because it's a sujood. Right? That's something separate. We're going to get to that as well. But that will be said, and then you say Allahu Akbar and you come up. This is within the salah. Outside of the salah, you're just reciting Quran. Then we say, La yasjudun, you go down. No takbir is required. You go down, you put your head on the ground like a normal sujood. Subhana Rabbi al-A'la, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la, and you come back up. No, no takbir is required again. Because it's not narrated in the sunnah like this. As for not doing the sujood and then reciting some adhkar instead, like what was the adhkar? Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah akbar. Again, this is against the sunnah. So this is like, it's like basically an innovation. Because it's something added and substituting the sunnah. So we say that should not be done. That should be avoided. If you don't want to make the sujood, don't make the sujood. But don't substitute it with something else which is not legislated. Which is not um, legislated. Um... <coughs> Another mas'ala the Sheikh brings is Can we recite ayat of, this, of sajda? Right? Meaning ayat of the Quran wherein we know there is a verse of the sajda. A verse of sajda, sajda tilawa. Can we recite it in the salah? Yes or no? Can you optionally decide to recite it? So for example, let's say we make Isha and I decide in Isha I'm going to recite which means I'm going to get to So I chose to recite that in Isha. Is it permissible or not? It's permissible. So we, that which means you're going to end up making a sajda in Salatul Isha. Is there a problem with this? No problem. In fact, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he did this. So we say there's no problem with this. Right? Um... One thing I would say is, because I think this happened once, um, I remember in Ramadan, you know, at the end of Ramadan, they let the youngsters lead Taraweeh. So there was one year, I remember this youngster, he led, end of the, the, you know, the normal khatam is completed, so they let the youngster stand, and he chooses ayat with his sajda. 
Because for him, it's something, you know, something cool that he can make an extra size diamond. You know? So, that's obviously not permissible. But it's a, he's a youngster, he can be excused. But it's not permissible for somebody to do it purposefully, seeking attention, because now it becomes a riyah. Right? Now it becomes a riyah and it's showing off. And I remember this youngster did it, and the Imam of the Masjid was like looking at him like, you know, like, purposefully you're choosing this ayah just so that you can make a sajda. So Imam just gave him like a look, and it was a joke, but the thing is, it's just coming to my mind now, obviously if the Imam decides to stand, he, that shouldn't be his intention. That I just want to make a sajda for the purpose of it, so that people can also make a sajda. Like, if it comes to that ayat, and that's an ayat that you, that's fine. But obviously your intention is always key, right? But what about the soft salah? So that's Isha and Maghrib and Fajr, we can understand. Also on Jumu'ah, in Salatul Fajr, the Sunnah is to recite. In the first raka'ah, Surah Sajda, where there's a Sajda, right? That's established, no problem. And obviously Surah Insan in the second raka'ah. But what about the soft salahs? So let's say it's Dhuhr or Asr. Should the Imam or can the Imam recite ayat wherein there is a sajda or not? So if you think about it, there's something different. Because nobody knows what the Imam is reciting. And everybody at the back, the Ma'moomin, they are reciting their own surahs that they choose to recite. So firstly, if the Ma'moom decides to recite in Shikaq or Iqra, Bismillah al-Khalaq, Surah Alaq, and he comes across a sajda, can he make a sajda? He obviously cannot make a sajda because... The priority is he has to stick to follow the Imam, as we mentioned the Hadith last week. فَلَا تَخْتَلِفُوا عَلَيْهُ You're not allowed to differ from the Imam. He has to follow the Imam. What about if the Imam comes across the sajda? So this is now where it becomes a bit of an issue because the Ma'moom might be confused. Why is the Imam going to sujood? He's supposed to go into ruku'. He said, Allahu Akbar. Everybody goes into ruku'. All of a sudden, the Imam's in sujood. And especially if it's a big masjid. People can't see the Imam. So now it might become problematic. Confusion will, will definitely happen because people don't know what's going on. And now he says Allahu Akbar, he's in sujood, they in ruku'. Then he says Allahu Akbar again, they are now, why is he saying Allahu Akbar? Perhaps he forgot. People are saying Subhanallah, Subhanallah, there's a mistake. And then the Imam carries on reciting. Because he's still in the first rakah, they are complete chaos happens. You understand? So this is something where we would say this is not recommended. It's not recommended. I think in the Hanbali Madhab, it is <coughs> makruh. It's makruh to do this. Because we know what might happen if the Imam decides to do this. It's going to lead to chaos and the, the Ma'mumin are all going to get confused. There might be a handful that realizes what's happening. But the majority of the awam, the lay folk, they are going to be confused. So the Imam should know better. The Imam should know better, this is out of hikmah that he should realize. This is to prevent this from happening. So he should avoid those ayat in the soft prayers. In the loud prayers, it's fine. Because people should know where, this, where, this, where the various sajdas are. And, and most people will know. Or at least some people will know and they will see each other going down straight. And so forth, no, no problem. But in the soft salahs, um, it should be avoided. We won't say it nullifies the salah because that's a bit... Um, extreme perhaps, but it's definitely makru, or it can lead to being something makru, and it should be avoided. Because as we can understand the chaos that will uh, that will happen due to this. Um, 
Oh, he could recite those ayat and skip the sajda. Oh, he can recite. If he chooses to recite those ayat, he can skip the sajda. Because there's no sin upon the one who skips the sajda. Understand? But if he's going to do the sajda, that's going to be the, the problematic issue. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And um, when they recite it outside of Salah, what's your face? People can just go just to the Um It's better to face the Qibla. It's better to face the Qibla. But some scholars say it's not, it's not compulsory. It's not compulsory. But they say it's better. Well, say for example, you recite on the bed. Um, can you go onto your bed into your state of sujood or must you go on the floor? <coughs> so, sujood on a bed depends on the bed. Because what do we mean by this? Um, this now takes us back to the ruling on sujood. sujood yeah, right? On any sujood. Uh, even a normal salah. Can you make salah on a bed or not? No. Can you put a mattress on the floor and make salah? No. Why not? So the issue with sujood is you need to prostrate upon seven limbs as the hadith says, right? Your toes have to be on the ground, preferably facing qibla, your knees have to be on the ground, your palms have to be on the ground, and your forehead and your nose, they have to all be on the ground. The problem is with prostrating on a soft surface, a very soft surface, like a spongy surface, like certain musallas you get nowadays or sajadas, they, they have the spongy sajadas, man. Now, most of them are okay, but if you get like a really extreme one, when it's, it's like a mattress, it can become problematic. Or a soft mattress, why is it problematic? Because when you're prostrating, your face will end up sinking into this mattress, and you will no longer just be upon your, your head and your, your, fo- your, your forehead. It's, it's going to be, you understand? So this is a problem with regards to prostrating on something that's too soft. So we would not recommend it, prostrating on a bed, because of this. You understand? Uh, but let's say there's a, there's a, for example, there's a book on the bed, and you put your head on the book, for example, and your head is on a flat surface, your hands are on a flat, you know, nothing is being sunk in that is going to affect your sujood, then be idhnillah, that's okay. That could be okay. But the safest thing is, get off the bed, to the prostration and get back on the bed. It takes you five seconds. You understand? That's the safest option and Allah knows best. But that is the general ruling on prostrating on anything that is very soft. That, that it can become problematic when it's too soft and you're no longer on just that seven limbs. And your whole face is going to sink into the, the, the ground or onto the mattress and so forth. Which will happen on a, a normal softish mattress. Or a cushion for example. So prostrating on a cushion is not permissible because your face is going to go into the cushion. Um, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Tayyib, we were speaking about the salah. Uh, the next mas'ala the Sheikh brings is, can you do the sajda to tilawa at any time of the day? Or should we avoid the awqatul manhi'an? Those times of the day where it's forbidden to pray, nafil salah. Right, we know the times of the day, for example, after Fajr, up until the sun has risen. Or the time of Zawal, that 15 to 20 minutes from Salaam, that time. Or after Asr until Maghrib, 
these are the times of the day where it is forbidden to make salah, right? Can you make, can you make sajda to tilawa within, within this time or not? That's the question that the sheikh is basically um, posing. What would you say? There's not in salah. So obviously making salah in that time is not permissible if it's a nafal salah, right? If it's a, if it's a, a normal nafal salah that there's no reason for, being, for it being made, then that's not permissible. But if there's a reason for a nafal to be made like istikhara, like janaza, like tahiyatul masjid, those salawat we say is permissible to be made even in those times because it's a specific reason for you praying those salahs, right? The sajjah to tilawa we're most talking about out of the salah. If you're praying a nafal in that time, it's not permissible. Nafal with no reason, that's not permissible. But so you're reciting Quran after Fajr and you come across these ayat, can you do the sajda or not? We say yes, you can do the sajda. Um, you can do the sajda and there's no problem with this. Right? You can do the sajda and there's no problem um, with this. Can you do the sajda without wudu? Ibn Uthaymin says, لا يسجد على غير wudu. He says you should not do the sajda without wudu. He's of the opinion that he says you cannot do the sajda of tilawa without wudu. Tayyib. Um, another issue he mentions is if a person is learning a surah, like a tahfidh, a student that's doing tahfidh of Quran, and he is now repeating verses, what should he do? So he reads this ayah over and over and over and over and over and over. He do it the first time and the rest of the time, that's sufficient. You don't have to do it again after that, right? So you do the first, you read it, you see Shatat Tilawa, do the, do the sajda, and after that you don't have to do it again. Unless you come to another one later on in another surah, for example. That's different. Right? Then, of course, you would have to do the sajda again. So, let's say the student is doing revision, for example, or he learns a new lesson and he comes to sajda tilawa. He repeats the ayah a few times, one sajda is sufficient. Then he reads later on some revision and he comes across more sajda tilawas. We say then he should do those as well. Right? Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Um,
It's a sunnah. Okay, and we're going to discuss this again. Sunnah wa akkada basically means it's an important sunnah, but it's not fard. Important sunnah and it's established, confirmed. There's no doubt about it. And it should be upheld. But if somebody lifts it out, there's no sin upon him. If somebody lifts it out, there's no sin upon him. And we're going to discuss this further, as I said. In fact, the mas'ala comes now. Ibn Uthaymin says that um, the scholars differed over this issue. Some groups said, as we said, sunnah mu'akkada. Another group said, fard. Another group said, um, fard. The strongest evidence that it is a sunnah mu'akkadah is a narration from Umar Rabbil al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu in Sahih al-Bukhari. Sahih al-Bukhari, he recited upon the minbar. So he was on the minbar giving a khutbah. And in this khutbah he recited ayat from Surah Al-Nahl. Surah Al-Nahl. When he got to the sajda in Surah Al-Nahl, what did Umar do? He descended from the mimbar and did the prostration. Right? Because he came to Ayah of Sajda. What did he do? Stopped the khutbah, got down, did the prostration, and all of the people in the masjid did the prostration with him. He then ascended the mimbar again and continued on with the khutbah. Understand? The next week, Umar is back on the mimbar and he's giving a khutbah and he recites the same surah, the same ayat. And he comes to the sajda and what does he do? He carries on. And he does not do the sajda to tilawah. Understand this? And then he says, because Allah Azza wa Jal did not make it compulsory upon us. Except for those who wish to do it. For those who want to do it. But it's not fard upon us. So whosoever does it, has done the right thing. He's fulfilled the sunnah. And whosoever does not do it, then there's no sin upon him. Understand this? Now this is also the hikmah of Umar. Because he knew that he did it the first week. People might think, because Umar al-Khattab did this on the minbar, it must be fard. That's why the next week when he came to the same ayah, out of his hikmah he realized, I'm not going to do it this time to show people. It's definitely not a fard, it's a sunnah. You understand? This was the way Umar al-Khattab taught the people as well right and none of the sahaba who were present many of them are present none of them objected or rebuked him for this they understood what, what he was doing they had the knowledge but remember there are other people there tabi'in are now coming about understand so they are also learning from these actions of um, umar and others and and we know about umar he was one of the most knowledgeable of the sahaba he was of a special understanding. His, his level of understanding of the deen was deep. And he had the greatest of insight. In fact, what does the hadith say? If there's ever a scholar and, and one that's eloquent from amongst you, then it's Umar. The Prophet ﷺ said, if there's one person from amongst the Sahaba that's you know, known for his eloquency and for his knowledge, then who is it? It's Umar ibn Khattab. Many virtues of Umar, many, many ahadi that speak about his, but this is one of them that, that for, for, in terms of his knowledge. Um, so that's the clearest proof that it's a sunnah and not fard. Other ulama still of the view that it is fard, right? For various reasons. 
And we will see the ahadith that are going to come up. We'll, we'll see why they say this. Right? وَعَنْهُ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ سَجَدَ بِالنَّجْمِ رواه البخاري. This hadith says that he did sajda in surah al-najm. In surah al-najm. This is also at the end of the surah where Allah says, فَاسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ وَاعْبُدُوا فَاسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ وَاعْبُدُوا which means, and prostrate for the sake of Allah and worship Him. Prostrate for the sake of Allah and worship for the sake of Allah. So, this will be makes a jude as well. In Surah Al-Najm. The next hadith is from Zaid ibn Thabit. Radiallahu anhu. He said, Qara'tu ala nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-najma falam yasjud fiha. Mattafakun alayhi. He says, I recited, upon the, I recited Surah Al-Najm to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he did not do the prostration therein. Huh? The first hadith says what? He did the sajda in najm. This one says, Zayd says what? I recited najm to him, and he didn't do any prostration in najm. Understand? First benefit of this hadith, Ibn Uthaymin speaks about is, sometimes a person who's more virtuous will listen to a person who's less virtuous. It's possible, that happens. Obviously, when it comes to teaching, that happens. The more virtuous the teacher, the more knowledgeable will listen to the student who is less virtuous or less, less knowledgeable. That's normal. But even at times for just listening to the Quran. It's normal. Sometimes the scholar, the greatest qura, will sit and just listen to others recite the Quran. Why? Why is this? Because there's something different about listening to the Quran and reciting the Quran. The, the most important thing is obviously that we recited yes. That we spend time and we recite the Quran, it has a different effect. But other times, just sitting and listening also has a special, a different effect. It brings about a different type of calmness and relaxation and sakina, you know, tranquility and so forth. And the Prophet used to love this. He used to love this. And he used to say to some of the Sahaba, recite, come recite. They would be sitting and say, recite some Quran. And they would say, how can I recite it to you, to the one whom the Quran was revealed to? The Quran was revealed to you. How can I recite it to you? You know? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Inni ahabbu an asma'ahu min ghayri. I love listening to it from other than myself. So this showed he also had added love just to sit and listen to the Quran. Because as we said, it brings about something different, you know, that different peace and tranquility. We, we need to read it by ourselves most of the time, but also make time to just relax and listen. To ponder over the words of Allah Azza wa Jal and so forth. And this hadith that we, he said this, um, hadith Abdullah bin Mas'ud. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he recites the Quran to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he recites in, uh, he recites to him and he reaches the ayah, فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيرٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَاؤُلَاءِ شَهِيدًا And so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, حَسْبُك يعني enough, you can stop there. And so Abdullah ibn Mas'ud looks at him and he says, فَإِذَا عَيْنَاهُ تَذْرِفَانِ When he looked at him, his eyes were overflowing with tears. So like this he sat and he listened to the Qur'an and he pondered and his eyes were overflowing with tears listening to the kalam of Allah Azza wa Jal. Um, <clears throat> Another benefit of this hadith is that the sajda to tilawa is not wajib. Had it been wajib, 
the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would have stopped Zahid from reciting and said to him, make the sajda. But he left him at this time, showing that it's not a fard. It's not a fard. We established he did do the sajda in Najm, but here he allowed it to go. Which means at times you can skip it, but most of the times you should do it. That's basically the, the asal or the rule when it comes to um, the sajda to tilawa. Three people are affected on this issue of Ibn Number one is the Qari, the reciter himself. In this incident, it was Zaid. Then you got the Mustami', the one who's listening to the Quran. You got the reciter, then you got the one who's listening to the Quran, listening to him recite. In this incident, it was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then you might have a something we call a Sami', someone who's in the vicinity. He can hear the recitation. He can hear the recitation, but he's not necessarily paying attention or actually keeping quiet and focusing on the recitation. You understand? So, in this case, what happens to him? We know the reciter, it's sunnah for him to do it. Right? If he does it, then all those who are listening should also do it. If he skips it, then those who are listening can also skip. Like the Prophet ﷺ did with Zayd. You understand? So the two of them are kind of together. The reciter and the listener. If, the, if he does the sajda, the person listening should also do the sajda. If he skips the sajda, the one listening should also skip the sajda. But what about the third person? Or the fourth person? Or the other people around him that hears it, sees them making the sajda, but they were not listening to the Quran. They were not part of that. You know, that the two of them. What do they do? Do they also have to do the sajda or not? Right? Allah knows best. They do not have to do the sajda. They, not, they were not really paying attention to the, the recitation. So let's say, for example, two people are making salah. They, they do a sajda to tilawa. You're sitting next to them. But you're not part of the salah. You're doing your own thing. You're reciting. You're reading something. It, you don't then have to stop and also do the sajda. Because you're not part of that recitation, basically. Or a student is reading to a teacher... And there are other students around who are also reciting Quran. And the student comes to a verse of tilawa and he makes sajda. The teacher also makes sajda. But those around him don't have to make the sajda because they are not part of that recitation. And Allah Azza wa Jal um, knows best. The next hadith is from Khalid ibn Ma'adan. He said, Fuddilat suratul hajji bisajdataini rawahu abu Dawood fil marasil. And this was narrated by Ahmad wa Tirmidhi, mawsulan min hadithi uqbat ibn Amir, wa zada faman lam yasjudhuma fala yaqra'ha wa sanaduhu da'if. Khalid, he narrates and he says that suratul hajj was given preference over the rest of the surahs because it has two sajdas. Because it has two sajda to tilawas within it. Right? Although these ahadith have weakness in it. And then the next narration says that whomsoever does not prostrate them, then he should not recite it. Whoever does not intend to, 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 to do the prostrations should not recite the, the surah. Surah Hajj. Because it has two verses of prostration. Right? The first one is in the 18th verse. 
Right? And then the second one comes towards the end. That's the last page of Surah Hajj, verse 77. So you find two sajdas over there um, in Surah Al-Hajj, or weak hadith. So the part that says, whoever does not want to prostrate it, should not recite it, it's not acted upon by the ulama because it's weak. It's weak. And Ibn Uthaymi basically says, even if you, if, if let's say for argument's sake it's authentic, and someone says it's, it's, it's acceptable, then what's meant by this is, it's more as an encouragement not to leave it out. Not that you should not recite it at all. Understand? But the asal is that it's actually inauthentic. Hence we do not act upon it and Allah knows best. Um, Umar ibn Khattab عنه, he said, Ya nas, this is the hadith we mentioned earlier on. The, now the author brings the hadith by itself. Where Umar was on the member and he said, O oh people, O oh insan, O oh mankind, we come across verses of sujood. Whomsoever prostrates them has done the right thing. Has followed the sunnah. And whosoever does not, there's no sin upon him. Understand? We mentioned this hadith of Umar. This is the, the, the same narration that we spoke about in Sahih Bukhari. In another narration in the Muwatta of Imam Malik, Umar said, Inna Allah ta'ala lam Indeed, Allah has not made the sujood fard upon us except for those who, who want, those who intend, and those who will, and those who desire to do it. You understand? But the asal is, is that it is not a, um, a fard. And so this is a clear proof, as we said, that it's not a wajib, rather, um, it's recommended. Whoever does not do it, no sin upon him. The next hadith from Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma, who said, كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقْرَأُ عَلَيْنَا الْقُرْآنَ فَإِذَا مَرَّ بِالسَّجْدَةِ كَبَّرَ وَسَجَدَ وَسَجَدْنَا مَعَهُ Rawahu Abu Dawood bisanadin fihi leenun. Leenun. He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to recite the Quran to us. And when he came across a sajda, he would say the takbir and make sujood and we would make the sujood with him. He would say the takbir, make the sujood and we would say the sujood with him. Or do the sujood with him. So the first mas'ala here is that sujood tilawa um, you you say the takbir for it when you need to make people aware when you need to make people aware that you are going to, into sajda like within the salah and also out of the salah right we said if you by yourself should you do the, 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 the takbir we said it's not narrated correct but if there's people with you that are listening to you and you're going to the and you're going to do the takbir or the sujood, then you should do the takbir. Like like we in the salah because they are following you in that. Understand? Um, because as he says here, the Prophet did the sajda and we did the sajda with him. We did the sajda with him. So hence he has to do the takbir so that they can follow him in that. And Allah knows best.
Let's uh, the author then says Rawahu Abu Dawood bisanadin fihi linun. That Abu Dawood narrates the hadith, but in this chain of narration is linun, which basically means it's slightly weak. It's slightly weak. It's just under the level of weak, but slightly weak. Not very weak, not weak, but slightly weak. And so the ulama have differed over this hadith, as can be understood. Some of them accepted it, some of them did not understand it, right? Some of them said it's acceptable, hence they passed rulings with it. Others said it's not acceptable, hence they did not pass any fatawa with this hadith. So Ibn Usaymin says that some of the differences that have come out of this hadith is of three opinions. That when a person does the sujuru tilawa, he should say that he should say the takbir when he goes into sujood and when he comes up from sujood and he should do the taslim right so he says allah akbar into sujood comes up says allah akbar and then says assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah that's one view and that's a weak view that is a a weak view because there's no evidence for this because there's no evidence for for, for that the second view is he should not say that the, 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 the takbir. Not when he goes down, nor when he comes up, and he should also not do the, the salam. Because nothing authentic has been narrated regarding this. And this hadith that says that he did the takbir and went down, they say is, is weak. As the author says, it's slightly weak, it's inauthentic. So they did not accept this hadith. Hence they stick to their guns and say what? No takbir. You go down, you just go down. You come up, you just come up. And no salam either. This is obviously outside of the salah. Not inside of the salah. Okay? And then there's a third view which is between the two which says, you only say the takbir when you go down. So you say Allahu Akbar, you go into sujood. But when you come up, you don't say Allahu Akbar. And nor do you do the, the taslim. This is... This opinion basically follows this hadith that we are talking about now. Because this hadith says he did the takbir when he went down. And it doesn't mention anything after that. So they take this hadith and they say that's what you should do. Allahu Akbar, you go down and nothing after that. Outside of the salah. Right? Um, so this is like the, the middle view you could say out that's in between the two. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. But definitely the issue of the taslim and saying the takbir for every part, that is also not established. So either you don't say it at all or you only say it for the, the first uh, sajda as you're going down basically. This is the, the two stronger views and Allah knows best. What this hadith also proves is Alhamdulillah. <coughs> what this hadith also proves is you don't have to stand up before you make the sajda to tilawa. So they were sitting, the Prophet was reciting. It does not mention that he first stood up and then went into sujood. So as you're sitting, you just go into sujood. You understand? Like we said, it's better to face the qibla. It doesn't mention it actually, but it could be understood that he did it or that he didn't do it. Ibn Uthaymin says it's better if you can do it, if you can't do it, it should, could be accepted, Allah knows best. Right? But the point is, you do not have to stand up and then go into. As you're sitting, you just go into sujood, you just drop into sujood. That's it. You understand? 
right? And so if there's a, a jama'ah, so the one person is reciting, teaching them the Quran, and he comes across the verse, he does a sujood, they should all do the sujood with him, as is mentioned in this hadith as well. Tayyib, um, the next basala is, what do you say in the sujood of tilawah? So you go into sajjad to tilawah, what do you recite? You read subhanahu rabbi al-a'la like the normal sujood. Like a normal sujood of any salah. Why? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, recite this in your sujood. And there's no problem making the other dhikr as well. Inshallah, there's no problem in that. Because it's am, it's general for any sujood. That's what he's basically saying over here. When I say Subhanak Allahumma Rabbana wa bihamdik Allahumma Aghfirli, that's fine. You can say Subbuh Qudus Rabbul Malaikati wa Ruh, that's also fine. That's also fine. Understand? Taib. So, any questions on sujood tilawa? Any questions on sujood tilawa? It's quite simple, alhamdulillah. The next hadith is from Abi Bakrah, radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kana idha jāahu khabarun yasurruhu kharra sajidan lillah, rawahu al-khamsatu illa al-nasai. He says, Abu Bakrah, he says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when any news came to him that brought him happiness, that brought him joy, what did he do? He used to fall down in prostration to Allah. He used to fall down in prostration to Allah. So here it says any news, meaning any good thing that comes to him. However, the ulama, they explain what's meant by this and they said, if it's something new, something happens, something, you know, it doesn't apply to anything that's normal. For example, you had lunch. And you enjoy the lunch. Does that require such a shukr? You had a nice cup of tea. Brought you happiness. Brought you joy. A nice cup of coffee. Alhamdulillah, enjoy that cup of coffee. You know? Does it mean you have to do a prostration? So the ulama said, it's not for things like that. It's not for adi things. You know, things that's normal. You can have a nice cup of coffee every day. Anytime. Nice cup of tea. Anytime. Nice meal. Daily. Normal. Right? Those things, Ibn Uthaymin says, if it was on those type of issues, then he says, even going to the toilet, you'll have to come out and do a sajda. Because after you relieved yourself, you feel better, you feel relieved, you feel good. That means you have to do a prostration now. You understand? So he says it can become very uh, extreme. You know, because at the end of the day, وَإِن تَعُدُّ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْسُوهَا If you try to count the favors of Allah, you would not be able to count it. All of these things are favors. We're having a dars now. That's a major favor from Allah without us realizing how big it is. 99% in the world of people are not sitting in this favor right now. Does it require a sajda? It wouldn't harm us to do a sajda because it's a dars, you know. But every single dars, uh, we don't know if Skolama will do that, you know. It's not, it's not known. So when something new happens, something happens. Um, then inshallah you do a sajjah to tilawah and that's where it's required.
brought you joy, brought you good news, happiness, and so forth. That's when you do a sajda to tilawa. You pass your exams. A guy or girl goes for a license. It's a big deal, you know. People fail and this is like a major stress in one's life to finally pass your license. You've done it, you've done, you know, you finally did it. First thing you do, you pass, you fall down on the ground, you do a sajda for Allah. That makes sense. You know, something different, something new. You have a child. Your wife's pregnant. Or your wife gave birth. Alhamdulillah, the baby is healthy, she's healthy. Put your head on the ground and thank Allah Azza wa Jal. It's a great favor. It's a great bounty. You understand? And many things. Many things. Anything that makes you happy is something that happened that makes you happy. Put your head on the ground. Go into sajda. And that is your, that's your sajda to shukr. It's a sajda to shukr. It's a sajda of thankfulness and gratitude to Allah for that specific bounty that came your way. Open up a business. Things fell into place. Alhamdulillah, business started. Sajda to shukr. You understand? For example, and many things. Finish the Quran. Hifd, for example. Major blessing. When you're done, what's the first thing you do? Sajda to shukr. What you see nowadays is some soccer players, they score a goal and they make a sajda. Right? The ulama says it's not permissible to do that. Because it's a goal. What does it count? Is it, a, is it a favor from Allah? Is it a great bounty? Is it something special? This is more like play, man. The ulama say this is like play now. This is like, it could even be showing off, who knows. But the point is, this is a, it's a goal. It's not, not, nothing important about it. It's not like the other bounties that we are mentioning, man. You understand? So many of the ulama have said it's not befitting that they do such that to uh, shukr for, for, for things like that. Because it's a petty thing in reality. The guy scores 30 goals in a season, you know, every season. There's nothing special about it when he scores a goal. You understand? Allah Alam. Um, so it's issues that are new, you know. You have news, the Sheikh says, for example, a Muslim army defeated an enemy. That's, that's, a, that's a reason for us to make such a shukr. You heard of a Muslim prisoner that was released. One of the ulama, for example, was locked up. You heard he's come out. Alhamdulillah, we can thank Allah for that. It's a blessing and so forth. Right? For important matters. Not for trivial things. But it should also be done often. You know, whenever you have an important thing, a great a favor, your child was sick, they cured, make something to shukr. You understand? It's something important. Something that happened. It's not the idle thing that happens every day. That's just by the way, it's a norm. You understand? Um, so in those type of t- uh, places and times, one should do the sajda to shukr. And it's a great sunnah of the Prophet And I think it's also a neglected sunnah. It's a greatly neglected sunnah where people, we say alhamdulillah, but we never really do this. Or we hardly ever do the sajda to shukr. I would say it's a neglected sunnah in today's time. In fact, nowadays people talk about salah to shukr. You must make salah to shukr. But the sunnah is what? Sajda to shukr. Salah to shukr is not, not established in the sunnah. Sajda to shukr is established in the sunnah. If you want to thank Allah for something, make a sajda. You understand? This is what the hadith are teaching us. These hadith are, are teaching us. What does he say in the, in, the, in the sujood? You go down, what do you say? Subhana Rabbi al-A'la. Subhana Rabbi al-A'la. Subhana Rabbi al-A'la. And after that, if you want to thank Allah, you can thank Allah. 
So you know, so that's why you did it. If you want to, if you don't want to, the sajda itself is your shukr. You understand? But if you decided to thank Allah, Allah like alhamd, or like a shukr, and you know, unto you belongs all thanks and, and, and praise, and there's no problem in that. But ultimately, you at least make the sajda, say subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so forth. And that's yakfi. That's, that's sufficient. Um, what about the takbir? Allahu Akbar or no? Not required. It's not required. You just go down, put your head on the ground. That's the whole thing. Put your head on the ground to thank Allah. Just no takbir required. Not to go down, nor to come up. And of course, there's no salam after at the end either. No assalamu alaikum wa The taslim is not required either because it's not a salah. It's not a salah. It's just a sajda. What if you are in the middle of the salah and you get some good news? Can you make a sajda shukr? No, you can't. Right? You're not allowed. Right? Outside the salah it can be done. Not within the salah. طيب نيكس حديث رم عبد الرحمن بن عوف رضي الله عنه he said سجد النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فأطال سجودة ثم رفع رأسه he said the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم went down in sujood and he lengthened he prolonged the sujood then he raised his head and he said إن جبريل أتاني فبشرني جبريل came to me and he gave me glad tidings of something فسجدت لله شكرا so I did a prostration for Allah out of thanks out of gratitude. The hadith is in Ahmad and authenticated by Al-Hakim. Although I think there's weakness in the hadith. Still, except the meaning is clear. He got good news, he made sajda for Allah, similar to the previous hadith um, over there. Right? The last hadith is from Bara ibn Azib, radiallahu anhu, anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ba'atha aliyan ila al-yamani fadhakra al-haditha قال فكتب علي بإسلامهم فلما قرأ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الكتاب خر ساجرا شكرا لله تعالى على ذلك رواه البيهقي وأصله في البخاري. So this hadith says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم sent Ali ibn Abi Talib. He sent Ali ibn Abi Talib to Yemen. Why? As a da'i to go give da'wah to the people of Yemen. And so Ali wrote back to him informing him of the Islam meaning. That the people that he was sent to, they accepted Islam. They accepted Islam. When the Rasulullah read this, or whether it was someone else who read it to him, is besides the point. What did he do? He fell down into prostration, thanking Allah Ta'ala for that. Thanking Allah for guiding them to Islam. You understand? Again, this proves, simple proof that this is established, right? Some of the benefits of this hadith to wrap up, firstly, the virtue of Ali ibn Abi Talib, that he was chosen specifically to go and go do da'wah, because he was capable of doing that, and he was knowledgeable and so forth. Another benefit is, sujood al-shukri ala al-fawr. Sujood al-shukri should be done immediately. It's not something that you delay. Once you get the news, you go down. You, you, you prostrate immediately, you understand? It's not something that you keep and say, okay, I'm going to do sujood shukr later tonight. Are you with me? You got the glad tidings, you got the good news, 
Do the sujood immediately. Right? Another evidence for this is la, la yukabbir. Right? No tasbih. No takbir. Right? Required. Also, does one require wudu or not? Does one require wudu or not? No. The answer is no wudu is required. No wudu is required for sujood shukr. Why? Number one, it's not a salah. Number two, it usually happens at it, you know, by surprise. Or it just happens at the moment you got some good news, something happened, you know. Something that really brought happiness to you happened. You immediately do the sajda. You understand? That's what Ibn Uthayyim means said yes. That he said you shouldn't do the prostration without wudu. Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. He didn't mention an evidence for why he said that. So maybe I can check that up again. But um, he said that it shouldn't be done without wudu. But I'll double check that inshallah. But now, no, now he says here for the sujood shukr. Because there's a difference. Sujood shukr, his argument is that it happens suddenly. Spur of the moment. You, you're there, your wife gave birth, alhamdulillah, prostrate. You understand? There's no, uh, you may not be in wudu. You understand? You may be on the battlefield. You conquer the enemy. Sujood shukr. You understand? It happens any time. You wait for your license. Doesn't mean you're going to have wudu. For example. You understand? It can happen any time. Hence, it's not required that one has wudu. No, what happens is, for example, um, reciting Quran. Just recite Surah um, Sajidah. Allah I mean, you're going to recite without wudu? Yeah. Possible. I said, I'll do I'll do I'll, I'll check it up. What uh, other ulama are saying, what evidences they bring. I would have said, it's not required. Because it's not a salah. Because it's not a salah. You understand? But the sheikh, he said, yeah, don't do it. So that's all I'm just delaying what the sheikh said. Um, but Allah knows best. I will double check it, inshallah. Um, also, this hadith here doesn't mention any wudu as well. He was sitting, he got the news, Ali wrote to him, they accepted Islam, he went out straight into sujood, no mention of wudu or anything like that, and Allah knows best. Although if you could, if you can take wudu, that's always good, but remember we said this should be done immediately, done not to delay, and so forth. The last point is, should you face the qibla when doing sajid shukr or not? It's best to face the Qibla. If you don't face the Qibla, no problem. No problem. It's not a condition for the sujood of shukr. Um, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Hidu la ilaha illa wa tastaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.